Hey, this is Dave Broadbeck. I'm your instructor. Unless you're not just listening to this for fun because you're some kind of person who listens to university lectures for fun. I was going to insult you. I decided against it. So person who's listening to this for fun, I'm not going to insult you. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, I'm Dave Broadbeck here at Oklahoma University, and you're about to listen to a lecture from uh, the fall 2023 term of Psychology 3106, Animal Behavior. It's what the cool kids study in school. Sorry, I didn't mean to yell there. Hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, I still get paid, so I don't really care. So today we're going to talk about, or what I'm going to talk about, mostly, mostly me, some of you, is the development of behavior. Um, this is the closest I've ever come to taking a developmental psychology class. Never have, never will. Uh, I got two kids, that's enough. That's, that's enough learning about child development for me. So, um, like I said, this will be kind of quick today, which will leave us some nice time for some Q&A with the upcoming test. Uh, so, so far we basically looked at evolution and genetics, really. And you put those two together and you get what's called the synthetic theory of evolution. Well, that's part of it. I mean, I guess, yeah, it's okay. I mean, you'd also bring in like molecular genetics, molecular biology. So the modern synthetic theory of evolution. Um, Evolution, as I keep saying, acts on the phenotype, and genetics interacting with the environment is what creates the phenotype, right? So the genotype interacting with the environment creates the phenotype. Good enough. So development then links the phenotype and the genotype together. I mean, if somebody said, what is development? You could say, it's the unfolding of the phenotype guided by the genotype's interaction with the environment. Oh, it's not bad. So yeah, that's what I'd say for what that is. All right, okay. So, as it says right here, unfolding the phenotype in a particular environment. So. You might think to yourself, this isn't the nature-nurture controversy again, is it? And I got controversy and scare quotes there because it shouldn't be a controversy because it shouldn't just be a, the thing people care about, but people do. Um, I think the Hebb quote is the thing to me always that gets me that, that idea of how much should, how much of a characteristic is due to uh, genetics and how much is due to the environment is like determining how much of a field's area is due to its length and how much is due to its width. That's almost, a, it's almost a perfect quote. It's very pithy. It makes a great deal of sense. And I think that helps us keep in mind, whoops, that was a mistake, uh, it helps us keep in mind uh, the important issue here, which is the idea that we have to remember uh, the interaction. Okay? That, that's the key. It's always important. So you can't have genes that are an environment 
Genes just can't exist on their own. And you can't have an environment where there's living things around without genes. They just are always interacting. Okay. All right. So let's talk about some important ideas in development over the years in the study of animal behavior. Um, the first one is this idea of canalization or developmental homeostasis. So what this means is that structures can development can develop rather, even when conditions are suboptimal. So Well, I mean, I could use myself as an example here. Uh, my, my, my visual system that didn't develop properly because it needs melanin and I don't have it. But I can still see. It's not, I don't see great, but I can still see. It's kind of surprising, actually. You know, um, children are born during famines and wars. Uh, you see little dogs running around war zones. You see, like, and they are more or less normal. It's, it's kind of striking to me, in fact, that, and it should be to you too, how resilient development is in a lot of different animals, no matter what the environment is. Now, at some point, you can, there's, you can make it worse than, you know, you make it so bad that things don't work. So this is a classic, goes back to this, Heisen in 1978. So there's a nerve cell growing in your sophila, and all he did was he just misdirected. So he just changed where it was going, just turned it. It's just simple. The cool thing was, as this animal developed, it ended up projecting to the right ganglion. So even though it was supposed to go, you know, Something like, it's supposed to go that way to hook up to the, so here's the ganglion here and there's the nervous system here. It was supposed to go like that. He redirected it this way. Just turn it around. What happens is it eventually just goes like that. So again, using myself as an example here, Melanin, which should have been guiding my visual system to grow the way, you know, to, to make, make me optic chiasm and make my left go right and my right grow left. It didn't. So my eyes are wired ipsilaterally. They just go straight back. And I don't have an optic chiasm. But I can still see, which is kind of amazing. Because you're not supposed to be hooked up that way. Right? Or, I mean, there's all kinds of examples like this of, 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 of people, of humans, non-human animals, uh, who have had developmental challenges and have more or less defeated them. Okay. So let's look at, let's look at behavior. Now, you know the Harlow work, Harlow and Harlow. It wasn't Harlow, by the way. I forget what his last name was, but it was a very stereotypical Jewish name. He changed it because people were anti-Semitic assholes. So he had to change his name. And be mean to monkeys, I guess he thought it is, will be mean to monkeys while I'm up. So you know these experiments. Who here doesn't know about the Harlow experiments? If you don't, I can quickly just, 
You've all heard. You have heard? Okay, it's a pretty simple experiment. Here's the question. Uh, why do animals bond with their mothers? They bond with their mothers because mummy's nice? Or they bond with their mothers because mummy's where food comes from? Well, it's an easy way to test it. Here we have a monkey. Here we have two mothers. One's made out of wire mesh with a bottle. One's made out of terry cloth. So it's a cat. Where do they spend all their time? On the terry cloth. They still get food from the other mother. They still get their food from over here, where the bottle is. But if they're ever, they ever feel like they need comforting, so if they're frightened or something, they go over to the one on the left. Help me, towel. And that's when you laugh at the monkey. That's not your mother. You suck. I always felt really bad for these monkeys. There he is. And there's the actual picture of the apparatus. So if they're, they can be fed, you can be fed on the cloth mother or the wire mesh mother. Either way, when you feel, you being a rhesus monkey here, when you feel nervous, you go to the, to the, to the cloth mother. So you see, even if they're getting fed on the wire mother, they still, at the beginning it's roughly equal, that's still more on the cloth, but then they eventually get to the point, you should be able to see this, some of you should recognize immediately that is a three-way interaction. Okay. Time by mother type by feeding type. Some of you have forgotten 30 to 56. That's too bad. I'm done with you. Some of you, I'm sure, are taking it in the winter. Are you teaching it next semester? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's going to be one of those hybrid synchronous asynchronous things. Not hybrid, just synchronous asynchronous. Okay. Because there's going to be people in Grant people in Grant too, so I, I can't I, I can't write on the board and have a freaking camera follow me around unless they give me a roadie. That's nice. So I've got. Yeah, I know. Well, it, that may be changing. Okay, cool. That may be changing. But yeah, it's me. Either way, it's me. I don't think we'd let Keo near that class. <laughs> that's what I was saying. That's a joke. I'm kidding. Uh, Paul has taught it before, but I was on Dwayne could teach it. Hell, I taught Dwayne that class. <laughs> As I always say with that course, if you can go... Both Lori and Dwayne have written this final exam. If you can get them, if they remember it, I'm sure they could tell you what's on it. So this is a pretty cool thing because what we have here is we've got basically, I don't know, I don't know if we want to call this an abusive mother situation because neither of them are really interacting except for giving some food, but we could use this as a model of neglect. You know, an animal that has to be, like, it's an animal that's, that's, that's not, uh, precocial, right? So if it doesn't come out ready to go, it needs a lot of help. Primates are like that. I just feel bad for the monkeys. The cool thing is here that showing you this sort of this, this idea of developmental homeostasis is that all the other monkey need, all one of these monkeys that had this Neglect, uh, neglectful childhood, 
all they needed was another monkey that wasn't like that to hang around with them, and they sort of give them therapy. So they would, now at first, the ones who, quote, were raised by wire mesh mothers didn't want to interact with others. They were violent. They, were, they would show threat displays. But the other monkeys that were raised normally or, or raised on the, the, the cloth coverings, they would persist. Right? And eventually, it didn't take long, they could basically give them therapy. Now, they weren't purposely doing therapy, but they were teaching the, the, the other young how to interact, how to be little monkeys. And you can see it's even the point where this monkey rode around on a dog and learned how to be a normal monkey. I don't want a pet monkey, but I want a pet monkey that rides a dog. That's the thing. Because I got a feeling you could reason with this monkey. Because and you can't, by the way. But you get the feeling you could, like he's just sitting on a, on a dog going, "I'm okay. I'm a monkey riding a dog." And then he just goes on. He's in your house and he climbs your curtains and then just pisses all over everything. He's still a monkey. <laughs> you don't want pet monkeys. Just tell you that right now. So these are pretty nasty conditions, right? This is taking an infant away from its mother and not giving it any contact with anything that feels good. <laughs> and still, they ended up okay. A little bit of environmental tweaking. There has to be some change, but it shows the importance of the environment here, right? It's one of my favorite pictures. So my favorite animal behavior pictures. The other one is the, the, the puking blue jay, which I still, I don't know what the hell it is. I thought I found the book the other day. I'm still looking. Okay. We hear a lot about critical periods and sensitive periods. So for example, um, well, first of all, the idea of a critical period says that if anything past this day or past this time, environmental input has no effect. Environmental input has no effect. Um, so my vision, for example, past about two years old, if the, if the cells in your occipital lobe would detect divergence of your eyes, at the angle of convergence, rather, of your eyes, if they don't fire, they just die. Or they get taken up to be used by something else. My guess is always, in mine, they were seconded by my hockey statistics and sarcasm set systems. <laughs> but. Yeah, it wasn't funny. I thought it was pretty goddamn funny. You didn't. Y'all lose a point. But point is, I can actually see. I don't see well, but I can see. Like I was saying. So something can happen here where, but there's certain things I can't do. My, I can't do binocular vision. Okay. So it, the animal's nervous system needs some kind of input, or it will not develop properly. In this case, it needed the input about the converging, convergence angles in my eyes. It didn't get that, so the, the cells all circle just died. Um, we can think of a lot of things like this outside of humans as well. So I'll talk a little bit about birdsong. And birdsong works like this, the same way that human language works. When you learn a language when you're a, like a baby or a toddler, you don't even have to try. It just happens. Happens. 
who knew the Ukrainian army was starting their counteroffensive in this hallway? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of cool that happens to people that we language, now, can we learn languages later in life? Yes, yes, many of us have, right? Uh, I learned French much later in life than, than like I was in my 20s, basically. It turned out the woman I met, her parents, or her family didn't speak English, so I said, well, I guess I've learned. Also seemed like the, the right thing to do. Um, but it's totally different than speaking English to me. Completely different. Right. Now, if you get no input at all, you know, you're not going to learn to speak very well. You may, but we, you, know, you hear about neglected and feral children and stuff. And birdsong, as I said, is the same way. And I talked about that today. So development doesn't stop, but it might end up being a little bit different in that case. This is sometimes divided up into a couple of kinds of what are called information. It's, it's a broad way to put it. But it's experience expected and experience dependent. Experience expected information is information needed during a sensory period. Every member of the species needs that for the development to continue. So if we think about, again, human language learning, and I'm just using a human example because it's, you know, I think we can all relate to it. Um, if you don't hear spoken language or see signed language before you're about three, you're never really going to develop language properly, any language. Now you might, and there are cases of people that are much older than say three or four, but yeah, around three or four, right? Experience dependent is what makes individuals different. So the language I mostly heard when I was a kid was English, so I speak English, right? But that is, it isn't any less of a language than any other human language, right? So this is what makes individuals different. So again, if we go to birdsong instead of human language, if they hear their own song, they'll learn, and I mentioned the other day, that different kinds of birds have different kind of accents, right? All right. Questions so far? Good. Yeah. Okay. So imprinting is one of my favorite things here because this is something that was discovered by Conrad Lawrence. Um, in, he won a Nobel Prize for this in the, I think in the 40s. The first thing a bird sees moving becomes its mother. I got that in quotes, obviously, because Conrad Lorenz's rubber boots were not the mother of those geese. But they, follow his, they would follow his boots around. Nikki Clayton, later on, found that the amount of NMDA receptors, NMDA is a um, neuromodulator, would be expiring more likely. Uh, in IMHV, which is a part of bird uh, neuroanatomy. Uh, we don't have an IMHV. Intramedial hyperstratum ventrality, I think it is. Doesn't matter. Once these birds, and there's Nikki there. Old picture Nikki Clayton. Um, Nikki's a uh, professor of. I think it's zoology, might be psychology, it's one of the other, at Cambridge. A little, a little, you may have heard it's a little university in the UK, it's called Cambridge. And she did her PhD at another, you know, small university in the United Kingdom called Oxford. 
But this is cool because something special happens. See, Lorenz said it wasn't learning. Lorenz said, oh, see, that's not learning. And the psychologist, Lorenz wasn't a, wasn't a psychologist, he was a biologist, and the psychologist went, um, so you're saying that something happened in time one and it changed behavior in time two and it's an experience, you're not calling that learning? Lorenz didn't know what he was talking about. He didn't want a Nobel Prize, but he was a psychologist. And it is learning. It's just a different kind. Is it even that different? Because it turns out, if you give an animal a little toy car to imprint on. So some Japanese quail, let's say, hatch, and then you drive a little red car that has a little, uh, like a little siren thing on top, like a, little, a rotating light, not a siren, but a light. You drive, they'll, they'll imprint on that thing, and they'll follow it around. Until they see an actual female quail, and they're like, oh, that's totally not my mother. You must be my mother. Do they know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right away. Know that they would like. Oh, they switch. Work. They switch. Okay. Now, if you got to, you can't do this when they're three years old. You do this when they're still hatchlings, like when they're still really young. I don't think it'll even work when they're juvenile. So once they become basically teenagers, they are actually teenagers. They're long dead. They're teenagers. But when they're a few months old, it won't work. But in the first few weeks of life, you can totally change it. Whereas Lorenz said, it can't be changed. Can't be changed. Or he actually said, no, it cannot be changed. It can never be changed. I can do that German guy, and I can do the other one, talk to on and so on. Why would you want to change it? So I can either do screaming German like he's interrogating you in a movie, or a parody of the Terminator, so whatever. Anyway, point is, you actually can change it. But it has to be the right kind of experience, right? So is it another, is it another, is it a Japanese quail? Oh yeah, no, no, no. Screw the little toy there. I think that's probably my mother. But if you do that when they're like three months old, they're like, well, I'm still following it. The toy is my mother. And by the way, you should, this is called um, filial imprinting. It's when you learn who your mom is. There's also sexual imprinting. That's when you learn who to mate with. They're different things. This is filial, this is learning who your family is, what your species is, who your mom is. Yeah, Nikki's actually kind of famous. She was even on, I don't know how many of you, if any of you watch British panel TV shows. Uh, they're like comedian, uh, comedian game shows. It's something they do in the UK, we just, no one else in the world seems to have to do. But this is a show called Would I Lie to You? And people, the idea is they lie, or if they don't lie, and they have to guess if they're telling the truth or not. And one of the segments is called This Is My. And a person comes on, and each of the panelists says, this is my friend, so-and-so, and they do this. And this person comes on, and these three comedians are talking about what this person does. And the first, they, they were introducing her, and the, the host of the show says, this is Nicola. And she comes on, and I'm not really looking. And then this guy here, well, that's Henning Vane, he's a German comedian. Oh, this guy here, this actor, he said he was working on a project 
about birds, and he wanted to know how crows communicated. And that's when I thought, and he said, and Nicola taught me about how crows communicate, or how they talk, or something like that. And I looked up at the TV, and I yelled at my wife, it's Nikki Clayton! <laughs> and she said, I don't know who that is. I said, but I do! She's the only person under five feet who can drink me under a table. Um, and it was bizarre, because usually you don't know people. It's like, a friend of mine is on TV in the UK. So that was kind of cool. So Nikki's kind of famous. Uh, pretty special. She's winning a sort of Lifetime Achievement Award for the Comparative uh, Cognition Society this year. She's, she's really something. Let's talk about, I mentioned song learning. It's kind of like human language. So remember, generally, males sing, females don't. No, some females in songbird species do sing. It does happen. Uh, chickadees, for example, the females also sing. But for the most part, the males sing, the females don't. The, the function, by the way, uh, is just a couple, at least twofold. One of them is uh, territoriality, so keeping others away from your territory. The other one is to attract females. Right? It's, it's, it's basically, whenever you hear bird song in the spring and you think, oh, it's so nice, listen to the birds, it's a bunch of guys going, hey, ladies, hey, over here, over here, hey, baby, that's what's going on. So it all may sound beautiful, but like most things in the world, it's just guys trying to meet girls. Um, so it's basically, or if it annoys you, you know when it first hearts, it's like five o'clock in the morning, you know, and at first suddenly you're like, oh my God, the birds are singing again. It's just a bunch of horny birds. That's what's happening. And that's what's waking you up. Just remember that. Maybe yell at them to calm down or wait till later in the day. So when this was first, people first started looking at bird song learning. And the first person to really look at it was this guy, Peter Marler. And what Marler thought was that there was like a template in the bird's brain. He actually said template. He really thought that the song was already built into the brain, which is not a ridiculous idea, by the way. Okay? It's not ridiculous. And that once he's heard himself sing, not Marler, but the bird, he then refines things to match up to the template. So he's got a standard already built in, this template. And he starts singing and hearing others of his species sing, and he can correct himself until he sounds like what he's supposed to sound. So he's producing one sound, and then trying to get it to sound like what's already in his brain. Does that make sense? And it's wrong, but does it make sense? Okay. So he also thought the only, they could only, here's Peter Marler, they could only acquire their own song. They could never learn another song or, yeah, let's just say that. They could learn, never learn another song. Yeah, for the most part, that's true. But if you start them young enough and they have the right gear in their, um, they don't have a voice box in the syrinx, it's called not a larynx, but if they have the right gear, you can actually teach them if they're young enough to make somebody else's song. Uh, yep. Somebody else's and make a different song. Yeah, it's got to be kind of closely related, though. Like, like you can't get a chickadee to make junko sounds. Yeah. yeah. So, but you can probably get a chickadee to make 
the black cat chickadee to make Florida chicken. So. So we have here, as it says, this is changes in the song system of the developing bird. And you can see uh, they all start, they all tweet when they're young. But then the males keep going through more and more, the females are less Okay? All right. So Marler, as I said, thought that it was just hooked up that, okay, they'll sound like this. Now, it's often the case that the first person that discovers something, just like with Loren saying it's all, it's not learning, same thing here. It's probably not really a template. In fact, what if I have, I think I have sound on this. I had some sound here somewhere. Uh, it didn't work, okay. Anyway, so here we have, uh, I think that A is a white crown sparrow that were, that's normal conditions. And B is semi-socially isolated, and that's isolated. So socially isolated means they never hear any of their own species and don't see them. I think the semi was the, could see that here? Oh no, yeah, socially isolated but exposed to tapes. of Lincoln Sparrow, different kind of sparrow. So, trill, 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 no, 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 trill. You got Lori Bloomfield or Jennifer Foote, they can read that and know what that sounds like. Uh, I can't. What do you mean by trill? Oh, jeez, uh, I can't make one. It's like a it's like that. Gotcha. Yeah. That's not very well done. You know, uh, yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Um, the cool thing about this is, is it shows you that the social part of it makes a difference. They're just hearing tapes and seeing other animals. Cool. So it's not really a template, is it? In fact, here we have, that's the social tutor. This is a bird down here. Uh, this, they're learning, are they learning white crowns? Yes. These are white crowned sparrows learning white crowned sparrow song. This is a strawberry finch learning white crowned sparrow song. Because they're close enough related that it's got, like I said, the gear in its syrinx. But it's also the case that it's learned, you can see these are almost the same. They look very similar to these songs. They're similar enough that you would say they're the same species if you heard them. Um, in fact, probably most of us in the room wouldn't really recognize much of a difference between those two. Well, Lori and Jennifer. Because that's what they do. Peter Marler, when he got to the end of his career, started doing work. I, I got away from doing this uh, birdsong stuff and started caring about animal consciousness. It's something that happens a lot with people who study animal behavior and cognition. When they get old, they go, I wonder if all these animals actually knew what I was doing to them. <laughs> uh, and he was really into consciousness and self-awareness in animals. And he came to visit us when I was in grad school when I say us, we're like me and my, my girlfriend at the time. He visited our lab. Um, and we all went out to dinner. And it was great. And we're sitting there for dinner. And my friend Rob, who didn't know that Peter Marler was working on this stuff, said, I don't know, I think, and he, like, <laughs> we're, too, we're your age. We're like 23, 24 years old. We're 24, probably. And he, 
Rob says, I don't know, I think anybody working, uh, working on consciousness and animals is an idiot. And we're all like, because he didn't know Marlon was doing this? That was funny. It was very funny. Because we were all like completely shocked. And Peter Marlar, to his credit, said, that's a little flippant, don't you think? And didn't say, because if, if someone would have said that about something I did, I would have said, that's your fucking problem. But Marlar was nicer. Marlar has more class, or had more class than I do, so that's what he said. The fun thing is now, remind, telling Rob's graduate students, every year, whenever there's anything that happens with them, and I'm at a conference with them, I always say, I want to tell you about your supervisor. One time he told Peter Marlar he was stupid. And then Rob looks at me and goes, I don't remember that. And I tell the whole story again, which again embarrasses Rob even further, which is sort of my goal. You can probably guess that hormones are going to play a big part in the development of the nervous system, obviously. Um, don't worry too much about this. This is just a schematic of the idea of, for example, this is that, so we have a hormone that presents, that's there, that then organizes some system. If you haven't had this, then it never gets activated. This is sort of a schematic of the idea of developmental homeostasis. That's basically what's going on here, and experience expectant versus dependent information. Now, down here, what we have is we've got, um, are these fish? Yeah. No, they aren't. Oh yeah, these are mice, okay. And what's happening here is, looking at their behavior, uh, they're either, either given testosterone or not when they're young. They're either given it when they're 90 days old or when their fetuses, sorry, when their fetuses are 90 days old. And these are males and these are females. If you, the females are a control in essence because they're not, they don't have as much testosterone. Take a look at what happens with, look at the males versus the females. And look at what happens if you give testosterone to females really young. Uh, yeah, females, or sorry, males here versus here. See the difference? So this is basically showing this same thing that you get more attacks on strangers if they've had the testosterone already. If they haven't had the testosterone, so in this experiment what happens is when they're, when they're before they're born, you, you uh, castrate. And if you've ever seen a baby rat, that's, those are tiny little testes. <laughs> Just baby rats are like that big. Or you wait, you do it when they're 90 days old, and you can see by the time they're 90 days old, what happens is they do the attacks, but these ones don't, these ones haven't had the experience. As I said, pretty quick one today. This gives us a lot of time to talk about tests if you have questions. Um, quick conclusions here. Critical, first thing, I'm gonna, it's always about the gene-environment interaction, always. Uh, development sort of the unfolding of the phenotype, you know, genotype, that's the way to look at it. Critical periods usually aren't. What do I mean by that? They're not critical. They're almost always sensitive periods. So they're not bang bang. Like one of the things that, say, Nikki Clayton has done is she's taken marsh tits when they were young, like just after hatching. She, raised, she hand raised these. 
birth uh, in her apartment in Oxford. And they were either given food that was actually little seeds or just ground up sunflower seeds. And the ones that were given ground up sunflower seeds never learned to store food. The ones that were given pieces of sunflower seeds could pick, uh, would, would learn to store food. And all they did before they, before at the first, say, first 43 days of their lives is they just pick up a little piece of sunflower seed, walk it over here, drop it. They didn't actually hide it anymore. But without that experience before they were, before 44 days post-hatch, if they ever got that experience, they never stored food ever. Also, guess what happened? Her hippocampus shrunk to the size of a bird that doesn't store food. That's a critical period because Nikki, no matter what she did, it was 44 days was the end. But usually we talk about sensitive periods. Usually we talk about sensitive periods. Because it's very hard to put down an actual time or a date, you know, this is going to happen now. If you don't learn to speak some language by the time you're this age, you'll never learn. Right? And you know how some people actually can learn languages as basically adults and you fawn. My wife's an example. She just didn't learn to speak English until she was 18. And she writes in English better than I do, which is damning her with incredibly thick grades, by the way. Uh, but yeah, she speaks, and she speaks English perfectly. She has a bit of an accent. Don't we all? We all have accents. So it's that kind of thing. Um, the language learning thing, is it a critical period? It's a sensitive period. It's a sensitive period. I wouldn't call it a critical period necessarily. So usually we say sensitive period now instead of critical period because there are always sort of edge cases that, that, that show that no, it's not that cut and dry. And we always, when things are discovered, they're always thought of that way, imprinting, song learning, whatever. And eventually people change their uh, tune on that when they find more stuff. Questions on this stuff before we go on to talk about the test? if you have questions. All right.
So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved. So you can redistribute this all you want, but if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore. And that was called PodSafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to, uh, put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music. Because um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time.